So, there is something that each and every one of you, we do at least a hundred times a day. You, you, you did it at least a hundred times yesterday. You'll do it at least a hundred more times today. And then you'll do it at least a hundred more tomorrow. And each and every day after that as well. But, but, but the good news is, is that, that, that what you are doing all of these hundreds of times is, is actually a big part of what makes you a, a rational human being. Although you are completely unaware that you are doing it, it is a big part of what we need to do to be rational human beings. Have, have you ever noticed that, that, that we are completely incapable of leaving our lives alone? Have you ever noticed that we are constantly trying to make sense out of situations and experiences that, that, that we face in our lives? Have you ever noticed that, that, that it's like we, we have this inner drive, something deep within us that, that forces us to try and make sense of our lives? So the thing that you did at least 100 times yesterday, the thing that you'll do at least 100 more times today, and, and at least 100 times each and every day here forward, is we are constantly talking to ourselves. We are, constant, we are in constant conversation with our, ourselves. And, and honestly, to say that, that you are talking to yourselves only a hundred times a day or you know, around a hundred times a day is likely a drastic underestimation of the amount of times that we spend talking to our, ourselves. We, most of us have learned that whenever we talk to ourselves that we should not move our lips so people don't think we're crazy, but we still talk to ourselves. It was so funny, after first service, I, I was in the lobby for a few minutes, and there was this sweet old lady, and, and, and she's a, a widow and has been living by herself for, for many years now, and, and she, she came up to me and she said, Andy, it's just me and my dog, and so I talk to myself all the time. She goes, but it really got bad whenever I went to the grocery store, and I kept saying, okay, you need to go get milk, and she's like, I wasn't saying it quietly, like I was saying it out loud. And people were beginning to look at me. And so she is absolutely brilliant. She said, so you want to know what I, I did? She said, my, 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 my son, my grandson, had, had an old broken Bluetooth. <laughs> and so every time she goes to the grocery store, she puts that old broken Bluetooth on so that whenever she talks to herself, people think she's talking to somebody else. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. But the things that you say to you about you and the things that you say to you about God, the things that, 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 that you say to you about your life, they are so very important because they will ultimately determine the way that you act and react to the situations and the circumstances that God has placed in your life. It's in those silent and private conversations that, that you have with you where you develop the confidence that God is who he claims to be, or you don't. It's in those, those, those private and silent conversations that you have with you where, where, where you remember God's grace, that if he's been faithful in the past, that he will be faithful in the future, or you don't. It's in those conversations where you're either remembering his presence or you're not. You're either remembering his promises or you're not. 
But when you remember God's grace, when you remember his presence, whenever you remember his promises, you tell yourself that you're not alone, that it's then that you're able to live with this confidence that you're not alone, that you're not left to your own wisdom, you're not left to your own insight, you're not left to your own strength or your own devices, that, that instead you have been given all that you need to be who God has called you to be. In this moment, you have been given all that you need to do what God has called you to do. And the reason that this is so important is it's because there's this peace and there's, there's this human rest that each and every one of us desire. But this peace and this human rest, it is not found in, the, in, in measuring the size of your righteousness. It's not found in measuring the size of your faith or your strength or your resources or your wisdom against the size of what it is that you're facing. But instead, this peace and this rest that we all desire is found when you compare the size of what you're facing to the person, the presence, the character, the power, and the grace of the one who is with you wherever you go. And so today we are continuing in our series on Psalm chapter 23. And I believe that one of the reasons that this psalm is, is so powerful and one of the reasons that this psalm has been taught the way that it's been taught for, for, for so many Years. One of the reasons that this psalm is one of the first you know, scriptures that many people, after they begin to follow Jesus, determine to memorize. One of the reasons that, that I feel like this psalm holds that place in our lives is because of how incredibly personal Psalm 23 is. Whenever you read Psalm 23, you will see that there are no references to, to, to we or us or they. But instead, you will only find my and me and I and you. In a very real way, you could say that, that one of the reasons that this psalm has connected so deeply in so many various seasons of our lives, in good times and in bad times, in the green pastures and in the darkest valley, is because whenever you look at this psalm, what you really find is a very short version of King David's testimony. This psalm was so very personal to King David, and so much so that in six short verses, he illustrates his personal experience with God. And it's a personal experience with God that I believe all of us are able to relate to in just 55 Hebrew words. This psalm covers all of life. With simple beauty, it brings healing to our pain as we speak of green pastures and still waters, as well as the dark valleys and enemies and adversities. But, but whenever I read this psalm, what likely comforts me and maybe what comforts us the most and helps us the most is, is whenever you read this psalm, you can see that there is so much confidence in this psalm. What I love about this psalm is whenever you read it, you can see that King David really believes what he's writing in this psalm. This is what he really believes about God. This is, this is more than theory for David. This is more than just beautiful poetry for David, but, but he has experienced God in these ways. He has heard his voice. He has followed his lead. He has felt his care. Whether it was the time whenever, whenever David was the, the youngest son and he had many brothers and Samuel shows up to the house of Jesse and says, one of your sons is getting ready to be anointed as the next king of Israel. And Jesse gets all of his sons except for David who was the lowly shepherd boy out in the field. But, 
But his own father didn't think that there was any way that this lowly shepherd boy could one day be king. Or, or whether it was the moments whenever David became the object of the, of the jealousy and, and, and the rage of King Saul so that, that, that forced him to spend seasons of his life on the run from this vengeful king. Or even the moments in David's life to where he ended up being the most powerful person in the room. And, and even more than that, he was literally the most powerful person in the entire world. But there were moments whenever David did not use that power well. Instead, he abused that power. But he always seemed to have somebody in his life whenever he would abuse that power that would call him out on his sin. And, and by God's grace, David would have a repentant heart. And it would lead him to write prayers like this found in Psalm 51, where he just cries out to God, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. But then you come back to these words in Psalm 23, these beautiful words, but beneath the beauty of David's words, there are solid convictions that were formed in moments of crisis. That regardless of what he would face, and the good times and the bad, that he would be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Last week, Elijah, he did an incredible job kicking this series off for us. And, and, and he, he was tasked to just look at the very first verse of Psalm 23, this verse that we just read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and he went ahead and he tied this good shepherd of Psalm 23 to, to Jesus in John chapter 10, where Jesus says that, that I am that good shepherd. I am that good shepherd. And, and me being a good shepherd means that I am a relational shepherd. I, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. They know my voice and they respond to my voice, that I am a caring and I am a protective shepherd shepherd, that I am the gatekeeper. I am, I, I am here to, to protect my sheep from the evil that is out. I am a, 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 a providing shepherd. Jesus, the good shepherd. And so as we continue today in this text, I, I want us to once again begin by reading Psalm 23 together. It'll be up here on the screen. And so if you'd like to read with me, feel free. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows." Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so this morning, we are going to focus on this middle section of this psalm, verses 2 through 4. And, and in this middle section, there is so much that's going on here. The, the, the entire psalm is, is, is basically a, a response to David's kind of thesis statement at the very beginning of the psalm. It's a response to, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So, so how has this shepherd, how has the Lord being his shepherd impacted his life? He says in verse 2 that, that he, the shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside 
quiet waters. That because the Lord is my shepherd, He he makes me lie down. He he forces me to rest whether I want to or not. He, He takes me. He takes me to lie down in the lush green pastures. And of course, David knew in in the part of the world in which he lived that finding lush green pastures was not an easy thing to do. But that's how good the good shepherd is. He's the provider of of all that I need, David would say. He is my manna from heaven to draw back to the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. He is my daily bread to tie into the prayer of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He he, he leads me in the way of peace. David is saying that that, that, that this shepherd, yes, he, he provides the essentials for physical life, but at a much deeper level, he is also referring to more than just the physical life that that, that, that he is speaking of a soul that is able to be at rest because of the presence and the guidance and the love of the shepherd. Yes, he provides for the physical, but he also provides what we need to live the life that Jesus desires for us to live. That's one of my favorite things about this prayer that Jesus prays during the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 6, whenever he says, give us our daily bread. Like, like yes, there, there is a physical provision. Like, 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 we are dependent upon our Father in heaven to get through the day. We are dependent upon him to give us what we need to make it through this day. But, but more than just the physical provision, we are also dependent on him to help us make it through the day and living the life that he desires for us to live. We're not asking him to give us what we need for tomorrow today. We're asking him to give us what we need for today today. Provide for me in the physical sense, but give me enough love to make it through the day. Give me enough joy to make it through the day. Give me enough peace and patience and kindness to make it through the day. Give me enough gentleness and and faithfulness and and goodness to make it through. Give me enough self-control to make it through the day. And I believe that's the way that David sees the shepherd here. He he also says that he leads me beside still waters or, or quiet waters, or literally, he's saying he leads me to refreshing waters. But again, this is not something that the sheep in David's day would have been familiar with. They, the, the sheep would always just be taken to a well, but, but, but David's talking about the goodness and the glory of the good shepherd, and the only way that he can describe it is with these pictures of peace and contentment and provision and refreshment. So he continues and he says that, that he, the good shepherd, he, he refreshes my soul. And he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. One of the main things that sheep are known to do is they are known to wander. David knew that, that he too was prone to, to wander. I'm guessing if all of us are willing to be honest with ourselves for just a moment, we would also be willing to say, we are prone to wander. We are prone to to take good things that God has put in our life and to make them God things in our life. We are are prone to take things and, and ideas and put them in a place that they are just completely incapable of holding in our lives. But David here, he is confident that the shepherd will will lead him in the direction of what is beneficial and not destructive. 
And what a beautiful promise that, that, that we receive here in Psalm 23, verse 3, as we live in a world that is constantly co- trying to cause us to go astray. What a beautiful promise to know that, that we have a good shepherd who is walking with us, who is leading us, who is guiding us in the direction that we should go. Not only so we can live the lives that, that, that he desires for us to live, but also for the glory of his name. So that his people who are called by his name will live for his glory. Here's kind of where the song that that Elijah sang a little bit earlier ties into this text. Because David knew that all of that doesn't mean that life will always be full of green pastures and still waters. He knew through his own experiences that when you follow the lead of the shepherd... That difficult times are still to come. He knew that just because something is beneficial for us or, or just because something is for God's glory doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. In fact, most of the time, the things that are truly beneficial for us and for God's glory are not easy. David knew this through his many battles. He knew it through his many failures. He he knew it through the seasons of running and hiding so he could one day take the seat that God had prepared for him to have. And and so he tells us that, 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 yes, God leads to peace. But it's not only peace in the good times, but it's a peace that supersedes whatever you are facing. I want to say that again because I think that that is just such a key part of what's happening in this text. David is telling us that, yes, God leads to peace in the green pastures, by the still waters, but it's not only peace in those good times, but God leads to a peace that supersedes whatever you are facing. And so it's here that David switches gears and he does so for the rest of the psalm. In verse 4 he says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley... Even though I walk through the valley of, the, uh, of death. And, and, and can you imagine if David would have just stopped right there? If, if he wouldn't have continued on with the next words, like, like how depressing would that be? Like, like there's green pastures, there's, there's calm waters, there's, there's refreshment for your soul. But then you're going to the valley of death. What if it just stopped right there? I mean, I... I think that we can imagine that. I know I can imagine that because any time that I begin to walk into a season of my life that feels like that darkest valley, that valley of death, that's where I stop. At least for a moment and and begin to question, where did the green pastures go? Where did the still waters go? But he didn't stop there, thankfully. He says, even though I walk through the valley of death, through the darkest valley, I will fear No evil. Why will he fear no evil? This is the key. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they lead me. They guide me. They correct me. And they will comfort me. Church, this is such a massive, massive and, and personal part of God's character. Our God, the never leaving, never forsaking, never giving up, always and forever, 
caring and loving and present God. Because the shepherd who leads us through the valley of death is the one who conquered death and promised that all who believe in him will one day conquer death as well. That just as, just as Jesus resurrected and just as Jesus is the resurrection and the life, we too who are found in him will one day be resurrected too. But as we walk through this life and face seasons of, of going through the darkest valleys where, where fear and danger and hurt and harm are lurking in every direction, may we never forget that the one who is constantly walking with us already reigns victorious for us. And it's in this resurrection of Jesus that we can find hope today. It's in the resurrection of Jesus that we can know that we are no longer a people who are fighting for victory, but we are a people who are fighting from victory. And so may I encourage you this morning, in those moments when you find yourself weak, in those moments whenever you find yourself in the dark, uncertain of the future, when all the color has been drained out of life, in those moments when your soul is overwhelmed, may I encourage you to look up, to fix your eyes on Jesus, your good shepherd. May I encourage you to stick close to him, to trust that he knows the way through the valley and that he will see you safely through. Believing that even though it is hard and even though it is unfamiliar, that he is with you. And hold on to the truth that there is something better waiting for you on the other side of this valley. I love the story of the Israelite people and, and, and you know, Exodus and watching the way that Moses comes into the scene and comes onto the scene and the way he ultimately passes the mantle of leadership on to Joshua. And whenever you get into Joshua chapter 1, you see the mantle of leadership is being passed from Moses to Joshua. And rightfully so, Joshua is absolutely scared out of his mind. I mean, Moses was a really, really big deal. He had led the people, you know, for, for, for generations. He was the man to the Israelite people. Did they get angry at him? All the time. But whenever they needed something, he was the guy they always went to. But now he's gone. And Joshua has been tasked with leading the people into the promised land. And so in Joshua chapter 1, we see the way that God reassured Joshua that everything was going to be okay. That, 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 that regardless of what he faced, that, that he was going to be all right. And he reassured him with these words. He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. And in that moment, God offered to Joshua the very best gift that he could possibly give him. He offered him the gift of his presence as an encouragement to Joshua. And some of the best news that I can give you today is that God is still offering that same gift to us today.
You hear those words, and it sounds pretty familiar because whenever Jesus had resurrected and he was getting ready to ascend back into heaven to take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father, to intercede for us on our, on our behalf. And, and he gathered all of his disciples together, and he kind of gave them this final charge of, of here's what you need to now do, okay? I'm getting ready to go. There is a lost and a dying world out there who desperately needs to know about the hope of what I just did. So here's what you need to do. You need to, to go and you need to make disciples and you need to baptize people and you need to teach people. And then he said these words. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. It's the constant promise in the green pastures. It's the constant promise in the darkest valleys. It's the constant promise everywhere in between. So above all, in the good days and in the not-so-good days, please remember this. Because of the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can know that the Lord our God will be with us wherever we go. And so today, as you're having all these hundreds of conversations with yourself, Remember to try and not move your lips, first off. But as you're talking to yourself, will you remind yourself of this fact? In the greenest pastures, along the stillest waters, and in the darkest valley, there is no need to fear because the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. We pray with me this morning. Father in heaven, I just come to you right now and I just pray. Um, I pray for those who are in this room right now who might be walking in that dark valley or walking through that shadow of death. And I, uh, I pray that this service, the songs, and the words have been a blessing to, to them today. But God, I just want to take a moment right now to just say thank you. That we can have confidence that no matter what we face in this life, we never have to face it alone. Even in the moments where we feel completely and utterly isolated from everyone and everything, you are still with us. So Father, may we see your presence in the green pastures and may we cling to your presence in the darkest valley. We love you and we need you. In your name we pray. Amen.